0: One of my personal goals as a real estate investor is to learn the world of real estate development. And that's what led us to this really cool podcast series with the Red T Team. Now, if you're interested like I am, I wanna give you a heads up on three webinars I'm hosting with the Red T Team. The first is how to sell land. The second is how to underwrite a deal. And the third is a very unique one to Red T. It's their developer incubation program. They actually did a pilot program this this last year. They've taken a handful of real estate investors and essentially turned them into developers. So if you want more details on any of these webinars, check out the link in the show notes. All right, let's get back to the show. You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast brought to you by Rico, your local guide for all things real estate investing in Colorado. What's up, Colorado? Chris Lopez here, and I have Nathan Adams with Red Tea back in the studio. Early this year, he came in. We had a great chat talking about his career growth uh, here in Denver him building a greener Colorado, and what's going on in the development landscape scene. And we had great feedback. Lots of people saying, hey, I want to learn more about building green. I want to hear more about what Nathan's up to and want to know what's going on in the development world with these high interest rates. So I got Nathan back in the hot seat. What's up, Nathan?
1: Not too much. I actually like being in the hot seat. I remember clearly when I was here the first time and I had a lot of fun chatting with you. And I'm glad you got really good feedback from, uh, from the last podcast. So I'm
0: going to take that as a challenge to throw you a curveball question and really put you in the hot seat today. Uh, I'll, I'll take that challenge. All right. I love it. All right. So let's start off with, uh, I, I, I think your exact mission statement is building a greener Colorado. And I wanted to hear uh, more about what you've done since we did the last podcast. Cause I had so many listeners and investors uh, really latch on to it. They they love the mission of it. They want to be a part of it. Um, they love you know the the theme of it. They love it being more efficient. Just what is going on there? Um,
1: so when we started, we looked at it and said you know we're going to be a green builder. But before we did that, we did like six months of research. We talked to our existing clients because we knew when we drew that line in the sand to say we are only going to. Buy the lands, do the architecture, do the design, build it, sell it. If it's built to a lead gold certification or higher, and really, we didn't start at lead gold. We started at Department of it was the Department of Energy net zero ready home. Uh, that was our very first one, and our energy consultant. As we're going, when through, was this? How long ago? Two and a half, three years ago. Okay. Um, so as we're going through that first one, our energy consultant said, "Hey guys, you're, you're actually." at Lead Gold already. We just didn't start there. We didn't do the appropriate test. They're like, go there on the very next one. So we quickly changed our disposition to what I what I just gave you, and that was, it's gotta be a Lead Gold certification or higher. So fast forward to um, right now, we're delivering homes two through eight built to a LEED Zero yes. certification. Now, I wanna caveat that because the US Green Building Council doesn't like that we say that we have the certification already. We will have a lead Platinum certification shortly after CO, which is happening this week or next week. And once we have that, we have to get 12 months of energy bills to prove out that it's truly net zero. We turn those in, then you get the lead Zero certification. So we should be homes two through eight in the entire country, the entire U.S. to hit that.
0: I was going to ask you about that because that was something we mentioned in the last podcast, um, and so that's all in motion, and you'll get in the COs like this this week or next week. We might have the TCOs today, like
1: really? that's how close we
0: are. The and those are, totally are here down.
1: in Denver, right? They're in Denver. Uh, yeah, so I mean, we're sitting at basically what Locust and Yale. They're yeah. at Mississippi and Dahlia, so a couple miles from where we're where we're doing the podcast right now
0: all right that is really really cool all right so what else is going on in that world in terms of just like trends in general for building green and what red tea is doing yeah so i think the trend just as a
1: country and and a, and a lot of it's political um is that we are moving in the direction of building green the energy codes are becoming more substantial you're hearing a lot of municipalities start saying things like we no longer or at a certain time, we'll stop issuing permits if you're using natural gas to heat the home. I believe, unless it's changed, uh, that'll happen in Denver in 2024. So you wanna go get a, you're gonna start the process, say, late 2024 to build a single family home. You're gonna go in and they're gonna say, don't put any gas on the plans all electric, period, end of story. So we we ended up being ahead of that curve. And then you have other builders out there that have their own green code. Just to build today's current code, like you're already building a home that's substantially more energy efficient than code of 10, 15 years ago. So a lot of the builders that are doing their own thing, they're just calling out the things that they're doing and they might throw a couple of other ancillary things in there. For us, we intentionally use the US Green Building Council in the lead rating so that we have third party verification so that it's not us blowing smoke about how great we are and how green
0: we are. Uh, we want that that third party verification. What's got you most excited about uh, the building green landscape in the next like, couple of years? Like what trend or aspect has you most excited oh. as an investor, as a developer, as a business? I'm like, what's got you most excited?
1: Well, when you look at the stats, and I, I didn't come prepared to spit out you know exact percentages, but I'll just construction here. is a big part of the pollution, the air pollution that we have, the carbon emissions, things of that nature. Um, so it's exciting to me to be doing the right thing for my kids, their kids, their grandkids. Um, you just you open the news every day, you can probably find something about. You know melting ice at the polar caps uh, natural disasters rising sea water i mean you, you just read and it's there so if we can start to treat the planet a little bit better than we historically have when it comes to home building it comes to construction uh, to me it's exciting to be doing the right thing for the
0: future generations And I'm curious on like the, you know, once you uh, take all the building, all of them outside, once you have the unit ready for sale and you have just, you know, your, your retail owner, occupant, you know, future home buyer wanting to come up, do you have a lot higher level interest or people come to you because you are like the the building green brand? So to to us, we're playing the long game. Um,
1: You are seeing that, but there's so little inventory in the market that's built green, that's built with a LEED certification or, you know, whether it's the Department of Energy certification or it's an Energy Star Star certification. There's so little of it that your average buyer does not know that they have a choice. So when we get in front of them and we inform them, you really start to see them recognize, oh, this is different. This is better. This is a healthier home to live in. Um, But it's going to take time for there to be adequate supply in the market to where there is a clear and obvious difference in the eyes of the buyer yeah Uh, but the ones that we educate uh it, it really does go a long ways
0: And like the actual like building itself, is there like one aspect that people really like latch on to or like? Because I've noticed when I've developed products or there's not development products, but just products in general, I've often been surprised. Oh, wow. A lot of the, you know, a good part of the people really like, you know, part three of this, which I found very interesting. Have you noticed any like trends like that?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So we branded these light homes, Uh, light on the wallet because they cost less money to operate. They're more energy efficient, low flow plumbing fixtures, things of that nature. So that was one aspect. We thought that would really resonate in the market. Um, You know, the the next aspect is, it's light on the planet. Uh, We're putting less carbon, less pollution, um, using more recycled materials, things of that nature. Uh, And the third aspect is, um, it's a healthier home to live in we ranked that number three when we first jumped in to go and said that will resonate the least that has resonated the most
0: really yes uh just in terms i guess people like wow they're they're, they will be healthier in their home that's what they like the best about it yeah so the the air quality inside is substantially better
1: when you use uh, gas to heat a home cool a home uh, even for your stove to cook any of that unburned gas that isn't getting filtered out, and there is some of it, and some of the you know the chemicals that come from that, uh, there are a lot of studies, and you're seeing more and more of this in the news now, uh, that some of those those nasty things in the air cause asthma in children, things of that nature. So um, that's one big thing. And then there's other components that we put in the house that make it a healthier home to live in, whether that's smart but ventilation. But the air quality
0: has been like, the the biggest it sounds like Uh, just the fact that it's a healthier home to live in okay yeah all right. So uh, as we kind of wrap up this part of the podcast, I know uh, two things I want to make sure our listeners, because we have a lot of investors, people that are looking to, you know, buy a home as a house hacker or a primary residence. We also have a lot of real estate agents that listen to our show. I know you guys have a lot of products coming online and you also have got some really good interest rates. I think you have like bought the bigger packages where you can get people in, like the the sub six rate. Can you give us the the quick plug for what you have going on there?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, um that's universally known as a forward commitment. Yeah, I started to look into these about a year ago when interest rates were on the higher side, but they were clunky and they came with a lot of risk. Um, The lenders have really started to refine that. So, oh gosh, I think it was three weeks ago we bought our first $2 million worth of forward commitments. So I'll give you real numbers because I actually know those in my head. Thank you. We bought $2 million worth of forward commitments. The 30-year fixed mortgage was at about 7.5% when we did it we bought those down to 5.99%. So we've got a rate under six. That cost to us was about seven points plus a, I think it was an eighth in origination. So it totaled up to be about $143,500 for the right to issue 30 year fixed. And I want to emphasize 30 year fixed. This isn't a temporary buy down. This isn't a two one buy down. If you're one of those weird people, that are gonna actually live in the house for a full 30 years and never refinance it, your rate will still be 5.99% at 29 years and 11 months in. It's fixed for the entire life of the mortgage. So as the Fed beats the drum, rates are gonna be higher for longer, buyers start to pull back and go, you know, gosh, I, um, if it's higher for longer, a, a temporary rate buy-down is cool for a year But then the rate goes up and I'm saddled with this ugly rate in the sevens or maybe even in the eights that I don't like. So we see the thing that sidelines sidelines buyers the most right now um, as affordability, and that's driven by interest rates. So if we can remove that as an objection and give them the ability to actually afford the home, Um, It's huge and it's been a big differentiator for us in selling property. Uh, Literally while driving over here, I learned of two likely sales that are coming today and they're both driven by the forward commitment.
0: Oh, awesome. Yeah. So if people want more details on there, is the best place to go to the website to see inventory, or do you have a point of contact for that? I would say they could go ahead and reach out to
1: me. Okay. Um, my email address is Nathan at redtholmes.com. Uh, you could probably put that. Uh, oh, will put it in the show notes. Yeah, put it, put it in the show notes. And... Um, they're welcome to reach out. I've got a flyer, so it's really easy for me to send back a flyer. Uh, We've got 33 homes that qualify under that right now, and we're gonna keep buying the forward commitments. It's a capital intensive deal, and it, it takes a chunk out of the bottom line, but there isn't a buyer out there that gives a crap about my bottom line. Nope. So I care about them, and I care about the homes being affordable enough, attainably priced enough for them to be able to pull the trigger. So if we have to take a little margin out of our deals while rates are higher, um, that's okay. We take a little bit of margin out of the deal and time will come where we will see those rates come down and moving the product that we've got in front of us with a whole bunch more product coming, uh, we will hit that sweet spot where we're building for a lower number and then we catch the interest rate drop and the prices start to move so um, in development there's ebb and flow there's times where your margin drops a little bit there's times where it gets substantially better and we don't control interest rates so when they go up to the high sevens low eights we make moves to move property and to be able to keep moving down the line and developing the next round and the round after that
0: that's great and you kind of like led on the next section i want to talk to you about which is what's going on and just the development landscape uh i mean you know everyone just freaking out a little bit over the high interest rates. And I've I've really gotten to know your chief investment officer the last couple months, Paul, and he has, he and I have nerded out some, not as much as I wanted to, just on what's going on in the landscape world. And like hearing Paul talk about it, it gets me more excited. So yeah. I kind of hear your, your macro view of what's going on and what you're seeing, because it seems like uh, developments is a really, really great investment right now.
1: Yeah, and I'll give it to you from two perspectives. So if you're just a buyer looking at buying, um, What do you wanna do? Do you wanna buy now? Well, you can have an appraisal contingency, you can have an inspection contingency, you can probably get some concessions out of the seller, you can negotiate a little bit, and you're not gonna be out there every Saturday and Sunday writing five, 10, 15 offers before you finally get a home? Or are you gonna be with the herd and be foolish and wait until everybody signals to you, hey, now's an okay time to buy, and all of this wave of buyers that are sitting on the sideline comes out, while we have really low inventory and it's a, f- a feeding frenzy all over again. So I would look at at that avenue and say, now's a really sweet time to buy. We're also looking at it right now and saying now is a pretty sweet time to be looking at land, not necessarily pulling the trigger, but we know that is coming pretty quickly. And what I mean by that is they're not, if you have a hundred developers, not all 100 are buying now two years ago all 100 were buying probably 75 to 80 percent are on the sidelines and they're really that may
0: have pumped the brakes
1: yeah they're waiting for things to become a little bit more certain or they will say we're buying but in reality they're looking for blood in the water they're looking for the best deal that they've ever seen and what's interesting is um, I heard the stat yesterday and I haven't validated it yet, but year to date, we're negative 1%. We've lost 1% of the real estate values. Well, the average value of a home in Denver is in the mid sevens. So we lost $7,500 off the value. We're not in this free fall, things aren't cater- or cratering. So to me, it's a really good time to be looking and we are still buying, but we're being intentional about being slow and deliberate so that we can understand just how motivated the seller is to better inform us as to what our offer needs to be. Two years ago, we competed on every deal we bought, on-market, off-market, it didn't matter. Um, That's not the case right now. Um, We don't have competition on a lot of the deals we were looking at. We had a deal that worked for us at 750 for uh, partially, more than half entitled townhomes, and it worked. And we didn't pull the trigger, but we expressed interest. Seller came back to us after a price reduction and said, "You guys are the right buyer. We just buy this thing for six hundred. Like I, I, I'll take the price down." And we said, "You know, we're watching a couple of comps. We're still very interested. You know, when these comps move, and we have an understanding as to what price point our end sales will be at, we'll get a little bit more comfortable." That seller was very motivated and grew pretty impatient quickly. And he came to us and said, "Guys, I'm willing to take a loss. We just buy it for 500. We pulled the trigger when it gets 500. Wow, really? Yeah, so we're being intentionally slow and deliberate in feeling out the situation. Two years ago, if the deal worked, I'm looking over the shoulder of the acquisition person going, type that contract faster, get it in the seller's hands, get it tied up as quickly as as we can. And back then we looked at uh, deals when things were really hot, if you're hitting a 17% gross margin, we were taking a hard look at that deal
0: and probably moving forward. So when you say uh, 17% gross margin, that is, what do you mean by that exactly?
1: Oh gosh, that's your, um, I think it's your sales divided by your total costs and spits out what your margin is. And I might've said that in reverse.
0: Okay, so just total like, hey, w- once everything's said and done, yep. uh, once you sold it, you'd be about 17% margin of everything You bought it, put into it. Costs, labor fees all that stuff yep okay about 17 percent gross margin now and now
1: i mean we don't even look if it's under 20 so we're three points higher before we'll even look at it um most of what we're moving on and offering on we're mid-20s uh i just put a deal under contract last week verbally under contract. I don't actually have the written contract yet. It's a unique deal. It's a wholesaler who is actively tying up a property. Mm -hmm. They came to us and said, nobody likes this deal because you have to keep one wall in order to be able to build the duplex here. And I looked at it and I said, well, I actually understand Denver quite well. As long as it's currently recognized as a duplex, we don't have to keep a wall. We can take the whole thing down. 34%
0: margin on the deal. Wow, so we double what you were seeing a year ago. We
1: don't see stuff like that. Uh, those are few and far between, so that was a really easy one to say. I don't care what the environment's like, that margin's outrageous, we pull the trigger, we tie that thing up. So verbally committed, I've uh, confirmed via text message, I'll
0: actually have the contract Friday or Monday and uh, get it fully executed then. Now from my like uh, very simple understanding of the world of development, it seems like you have two big factors in our costs. One is like the cost of land and the cost of construction, the materials and labor. And I know, you know, construction costs have just been, you know, crazy the last couple of years since COVID. Has has that stabilized? Are you seeing the deals coming from, hey, land IOs dropping or where where's the margin coming from? A it's, little bit of both. It's stabilized. Um some categories have
1: come down. For construction? For construction, okay, yes. So like, here's an example of something that happened for us Um, late last year. It's a lot of fear and panic in the market in November and December. Mm -hmm. National home builders really pulled back. Um, You heard stories like they went to the land developers and said, if you don't cut the price of the lots in half, we're not buying. They went to the subs and said, unless you cut the cost of the labor by X percent, I think that was around 10 or 15%, then we're not gonna do business with you right now. chased a lot of subs away we were paying 17 18 a foot for framing um there were some framing contractors we had our eye on but they wouldn't work with us because they were doing so much work with the national home builders we're now doing framing for nine dollars and fifty cents a foot really yeah so we saved eight nine bucks a foot just in one category because there's less construction right now Two years ago, the National Home Builders had these guys so busy and they were, you know, moved from this house to this house to this house and they had a big, long line of work. And in order to keep their crews busy, um, they had to come and work for us, Mm -hmm. Uh, which was great because we really wanted to court them and to bring them in because uh, they were capable of doing things at a lower cost. So... A lot of materials haven't really come down, but we have picked up savings uh, in a couple of categories in labor. So if anything, I think we're actively building. Well, I not think I know we're building for a little bit less right now than we were two years ago.
0: Wow. Okay. so that's great news. So construction costs go down a little bit and then you're seeing softness in the land value as well. Yes. Um, Would softness be the right word for that? Yeah, I think softness is the right word and I
1: do think it is a fairly temporary thing. As soon as All right, there's a Bring out your crystal ball. Yeah, start so cr- talking. Crystal ball. It's uh it's a little foggy right now. Uh, I've been doing this for 19 years. Um and I would would say up until the start of COVID, I always had a really good handle on it. I knew what was coming. I knew what was happening. Um March thirteenth was kind of D Day. March thirteenth, twenty twenty. That was the start of COVID. That was the yep. day. Um, I mean, I remember it. I went to the gym for the last time, literally the last time, because I ended up buying a bunch of equipment, and I now have a gym in my house uh, because I couldn't go to the gym. I remember coming home that day, and I'm not the kind of person to talk to myself, but I went up the steps, looked at myself in the the mirror of the guest bathroom, or not the guest bathroom, but the master bathroom, primary bathroom, and uh, I'm talking to myself in the mirror. I'm like, today's the day you might have lost your business. You didn't do anything wrong. Like I'm having this conversation. Yeah, That's when things became unpredictable. None of us knew that May 8th, the market would become crazy and would stay crazy for a long time. None of us knew while the Fed was telling us inflation's transitory, oh my God, rates are going to be 3%, and at the end of the year, they're going to be double that, and they're going to keep climbing, and they're going to get into the 7.5% range. The one part of my crystal ball that is crystal clear is we have an inventory problem. We still have an inventory problem, even with the high rates and the slowdown in sales activity. You're not getting many new properties listed, so there will come a time. The Fed will stop raising. They'll probably reverse course. I don't know definitively when that will be, but the developers and the builders that have inventory when that happens
0: will be rewarded handsomely. Just because once rates drop, buyers will be back back out there is what you're predicting. Yeah, so I said May 8th, 2020,
1: the market really turned back on. Yep. You know real estate pretty well. What happened then from May 8th of 2020 until about May or June of 2022? Oh, we had what, 40% plus appreciation? Yeah, In that period of time and buyers got really frustrated and they had to make 15, 20 offers to to land a house. If somebody got a house on their fifth offer, that was a celebration. Like, holy cow, we actually got this done. It was an amazing thing for them. So the number of buyers that have hit the sidelines whether they don't qualify right now because rates are higher, uh, whether they feel like they can't buy until a rate starts with a five again or even a six. Um, Maybe they're getting advice from family. Maybe they're getting advice from somebody else in their life. But there is a giant pool of buyers on the sidelines. And I think the large majority of them come off the sidelines when we hit a certain rate. You need to get some off the sidelines at six and a half. You need to get some off at six. I think you're going to get almost all of them off at five and a half or below, yeah. And I do think that will happen. I don't know when it's going to be though. Um, it'll be in the future. It'll be in the future. We know that. Uh, we do know that it happened in the past, so we can we can call a couple of those. Um, I'm in the camp, and this is this is a pretty bold prediction, <clears throat> but I'm in the camp of there's too much noise out there, and there's too many things going on. I haven't looked at the news a little bit but i think the united auto workers thing's still going our government put a band-aid on the shutdown and they can't agree on anything anymore so i think we're only about three or four more weeks from having that ugliness rear its ugly head again credit card debts at an all-time high uh code covid savings is almost gone and there's just a lot of fear and uncertainty out there there's geopolitical things there's the war in israel there's the war in uh ukraine mm-hmm. um all of these things happening uh commercial real estate's kind of on the rocks right now um there's this uh extend and pretend going on in the commercial world with some of the loans there's a lot of shoes in the air and people always say well when the other shoe drops the fed will their hands going to be forced i don't know which one of those shoes that i just described is going to drop and force their hand but i do believe it's coming
0: I think there might be a couple dropping at the same time as well.
1: Uh, That is quite possible. So, you know, the mantra is higher for longer, and that may be true. And I don't think the Fed has lied to us since they told us inflation was transitory. We now know that was non-factual. But I do think something is coming, and I think it's coming sooner rather than later, that is going to move the needle. Um, But if it doesn't, you know, we figured out how to do business with forward commitments. Uh, The longer rates stay in the sevens the more buyers become resigned to the fact that that's, that's the new normal. Um, I, I'm already seeing, I mean, we've got seven or eight projects listed right now. Um, I think we've got 47 total units, You know, some projects with units sold already, uh, some that we're just starting sales on. And I see a healthy number of showings even with rates where
0: they're at right now. Oh, that's great so one of the um interesting trends i've noticed going on is like the you know the amount of new builds now being purchased over like existing inventory i know that's gone up dramatically i think it's around like 30 percent now of all sales i imagine that's probably gonna go up even higher as you know other builders like you get these forward commitments for lower interest rates and all these owners that have just sitting on 30 year fix in the twos they don't want to put their property on the market um so with that said though I'm curious because I've talked to other developers who are, you said, they're they're out of the game. A lot of investors aren't putting their capital right now uh, because like, oh, well, prices may drop in a year or two or three once your products come online. You're not losing sleep. You're not worried about having a massive price drop on, hey, you're building these townhomes, the price will drop in two years or three years once they come online? Um-
1: there's always that worry right i don't think you can be a developer or a builder and bury your head in the sand and say i have absolutely nothing to worry about um so i mean sure but, you know potential fall in prices we talked about these different shoes in the air and you say multiple may drop at the same time i mean i don't know what that does economically you listen to a guy like robert kiyosaki And i might not get this prediction right but he said something really far out there and he said the worst case scenario is a civil war and the best case scenario is a depression like we've never seen before stuff like that i mean i look at him and i'm like you're just trying to get attention you're you're just in the media you know you were very popular once and you're a little washed up now and you say something really audacious to to to, to get out there in front of people again Um, but things like that when you hear it they don't just go in one ear and out the other, they rattle around in your head for a little bit. So when you hear really crazy stuff like that, it it does make you think. Um, So I wouldn't say that I'm not worried, uh, but I am extremely confident in the fact that we haven't built enough homes. We have an inventory problem, and that is going to persist for a long time because every single day, the municipalities make it harder to get permits. The NIMBY problem grows more and more. So if you're trying to do a a rezone, uh, you know, we're we're doing one right now. Current land would yield four single-family homes. Uh, We have industrial as a neighbor. We have a park. We have another bit of industrial. And then we own the land moving in the other direction, so we don't have any immediate neighbors. And we sit at the bottom of a hill. We're trying to rezone that to build 26 townhomes because that is a more attainable product we need more of it and this particular neighborhood doesn't have a ton of it and we're up against a battle on that Um, it seems like every time we do something where the neighborhood organizations the general public has the ability to have a say they come out with a negative stance so when you have all of these headwinds it means that you're not going to build inventory at a quick enough pace to solve this thing in three or four years. It's going to persist for, in my mind, at least five, but more like 10 to 15 years. Yeah. And it may persist the rest of our lifetimes. This wow. just may be the
0: new normal. So we might be turning to like how a lot of countries in Europe are where it's just there's not enough inventory, period. Wow, that would be that would be sad, but... I don't disagree with that being a potential. So I'm gonna go back and and talk about um kind of like your your view on like, hey, you're you I know you have those concerns, but obviously you're still very bullish on the long term of developing. Hey, if we do projects now in a year, two, three years, we are gonna be able to hit, hit those numbers because I mean you're still in the 20% buying, not sitting on sidelines. Plus a few months when we got caught up, like you're going into like scale mode for red tea. Uh, I mean, it's a, I think when we caught up three or four months ago, the two main takeaways you were like, "Hey, I hired a new CEO to start, so we can go go big time." Yep. and you had this massive printout. I was like, "Hey, what deals are the pipeline?" You're like, "Give me a minute, I'll be back." Then you came out with an amazing printout with I don't know, three thousand or four thousand like units across like I don't know, eighteen hundred rows on there. It would just like boggle my mind. So like, obviously, you're you're very bullish and putting your time and more money into like the long-term growth development in the short term and long term can you tell us more about what you're doing from a business angle and also what you're doing to like build that pipeline of deals because i found it so fascinating yep i wish
1: i had a better memory so i could remember everything that you just said so if i miss in a couple of areas just uh just remind me to speak to it so um Overall for us, um, you know, buying at that higher margin, it does insulate us a little bit. We do have some downside protection. I mean, if we're buying the deal I described, we bought 2x the margin we would have bought, that means things can get ugly for us and we still come out looking decent. Yeah. So, And we've gone through some ugliness, right? Uh, June of 2022 to January of 2023, Uh, whether you're looking at Denver County or you're looking at the metro area, we dropped uh, 17% in one and 14% in the other. We've since recovered the majority of that. The projects that we've closed out during that time were not losers. They were lower margin than we anticipated, but when you buy right, you do have the ability to experience a little bit of pain on the construction side if it comes, and it does from time to time, and you have the ability to absorb some price reductions. In fact, one project, we sold our first three units prior to June of 2022 in the eights. We sold the last seven units in the low to mid sevens. We still came out profitable. So we took 75 dollars $80,000 price cuts on the last seven units, and we still came out doing okay.
0: Wow, that was really a good deal. Well, like I said, buy right, and you have the margins in there. Yeah. So I wanna dig into uh, the business side, and, and I say this out of, out of respect, That's a little bit of jealousy too, because when we met, you, the way I interpret it, you were like, hey, I have gotten to a point in my business and my career where I can now fire myself as a CEO, go hire a professional CEO, because your your superpower is deal-making and putting deals together. Yep. You know, Hey, you run the business, but I say your superpower is deal-making. Can you talk about that? Because we a lot of entrepreneurs and business people that listen to this. Yep. And I've mentioned a few people, and there's a lot of intrigue.
1: Yeah, so I, I started into this in 2005. In 2013, I was still running the acquisition side of our business because I loved it. Um, I was good at it. And I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, it was the, as you grow... Like when you're a one-person show, you're the accountant, you're the salesperson, you put the deals together. And as you grow, you start to give up job functions and you bring in people that are better than you at those job functions. So I gave up acquisitions in 2013. Uh, Fast forward to, gosh, it'd be sometime probably late 2022 or early 2023. I jokingly said to somebody, I should replace myself as the CEO and I'll run our acquisitions department. And we kind of laughed about it and the brain works at night while you're at sleep. i woke up in the morning and i thought maybe that's not a joke that actually seems like a pretty good idea and had all these other things going on we were going through uh rezoning in arvada contentious um like I talked about a little bit earlier. Mm-hmm. And I remember this distinctly. I was in front of the house that we were rezoning. We were having a community meeting. Um, this woman who probably weighed 75 to 80 pounds more than I do, looked at me and told me that I was lazy and I wasn't doing enough and I wasn't putting in enough effort. And it took everything in my power to bite my tongue and take the high road and not say anything. And I did, and I drove home that night and it it was eating at me that I wasn't seeing my wife and kids as much. And I was spending time with people that were saying nasty stuff. You don't care about the neighborhood. You're being lazy, just whatever it was. And that night when I got home, my kids were already falling asleep. And I'm looking at them like half awake and saying goodnight. And I'm like, why am I running myself ragged? Yeah. there's something that had always sat in my brain since I first read it, and that's something called The Founder's Dilemma. You familiar with that? Uh, Yes, I think I am. I'll tell the audience so that that they're-
0: I wanna make sure I'm remembering the same thing. So
1: The Founder's Dilemma, and I, I might not get it perfect, but there are people, and this applies for me, that are wired in a way that they're great at starting a company, and they're great at the early stages of growth, but eventually you hit a certain size, where your management style, your leadership style, the way you think of things strategically hits a wall. And people that are great founders can usually get a company to a certain place. Mm -hmm. For me, that was around 30 to 40 employees. And then I'm trying to lead all of them versus lead through the leaders, and I'm in the weeds when I shouldn't be, and I should be planning out into the future, which I still did that, but that really resonated with me, and I I kept thinking to myself, you know what, I could probably go found another several companies, but there's gotta be a better CEO out there than me. And I literally said this out loud, I said, "I, I don't know that there are any more than maybe two or three people in all of Denver that can do acquisitions better than I can. But there's thousands of people out there that could be a better CEO than I could be. So it took a little humility to make that decision. I made it so I could see my family more. I made it so that the company could grow and go to the next level. The guy that we brought in as a CEO, uh, his name is Vincent. Um, In his last role, he played a, a key role at the executive level, taking a company from about 50 employees in two markets to eight different markets and I think north of 210, 220 employees in about a four-year period of time. And I sat back in my seat and said, that is exactly what we need. And we went through a, probably a three or four month process, multiple interviews. He's courting us, we're courting him, uh, feeling each other out. Uh, We pulled the trigger. His first day was uh, first day in the office was July 5th. And uh, we are fully in transition mode and we have big plans for growth so if you go back in time just four or five years ago we did all of our new construction in denver and denver only denver county because we knew the ins and outs we knew the people we knew where the you know the the potholes were so we could avoid stepping in those and then we branched out and now we're in Aurora, Arvada, Lakewood, uh, unincorporated Adams County, uh, unincorporated Jeffco, Golden. So the
0: last five years you started in the Denver Metro.
1: Yeah, so we went from just Denver County to Denver Metro. um, As it sits right now, um, in Q4 of 2023, we'll close on a project in Berthoud. So now we're developing in Northern Colorado. We never had Leadville on radar, and uh, we happened to come across a unique opportunity to pick up uh, 28 townhomes that have been used as rentals since they were built in the early 1960s that somebody replatted in 2006. So we're now going to go forward in Leadville, buy this property, Got some renovation work to do, and we'll sell those units off individually, and we'll sell them in the high 300s, which if you're in any of the mountain communities, um, product sub 400 is few and far between. Uh, So for us, that's now three markets inside of Colorado, and uh, our disposition is once we've done those well, which should happen in 2024, uh, we will look to move regionally from there. Wow. So we're on a decent decent growth trajectory right now. What What's the what's the long term vision? So the long term vision uh, and I'll call long term five years, five years from now, we're in somewhere between five and eight markets recognized as a regional builder and doing significant volume in each one of those markets. Right now in Colorado, we're, uh, as we sit here today, 608 units of development at some stage of planning, construction or for sale. Um, take that and then you multiply that by maybe five or six more markets and we're doing substantially more business than we're doing today.
0: Wow. So I am really just curious as a, like a fellow entrepreneur um I imagine this was a, you know a very yeah, you know, humbling, emotional all, all sorts of to go through. Did you ever expect you'd be able to like hire a, a CEO better than you and, and kind of like step away from the company let it grow on its own and really focus on like your superpower? I never really
1: had it on radar. I was really focused on running the business and growing the business and having a great environment for our employees to work in, so it, It really wasn't on radar until that day that I jokingly said I should replace myself as the CEO. And my brain kicked it into overdrive that night while I was asleep and uh, the wheels were in motion. Next thing I knew, I was making a pros and cons list. I was talking to people in my life that I really value their opinion as to what they thought of the situation. And uh, a a really good friend of mine, also a mentor, a bit of a business coach uh, named Jerry, He said to me, you made a pros and cons list. This is real. The first time you said it to me, I didn't know how real it was. And then when you made the
0: pros and cons list, he's like, I know you well enough to know this is probably going to happen. And so what uh, what month was this? Did you have this Joe pros cons list? I'm going to give you a quarter. I think it was Q4 of
1: 2022 and we're presently in Q4 of 2023. So in a year's time, I made a joke, realized it wasn't a joke and that it was serious. Did a little bit of soul searching to get comfortable with the decision that I was about to make. And then I started to talk to people about it. I never had to post the job. I ended up getting, I think, four, four or five referrals. And one of those four or five stuck and ended up being the guy that um, has taken the reins of red tea and uh we're in the thick of the transition but we're i thought it was like a 60-day transition and what a mistake i made it's going to be a six-month transition (laughs) naive nathan there yeah well i mean (laughs) i've never done this before oh i know (laughs) so i mean i went in with a set of expectations that were inaccurate and uh the transitions caused me to work more hours work harder um but I know what the light at the end of the tunnel looks like and, uh, it's probably getting closer too. yeah, it is. So we're three and a half months deep in that transition and and we're now looking at each other going, it's about six months. And there's some things that he's already taken the reins on. He's off and running with, um, and if I had to put a percentage to it, he's probably 50, 60, 70% off and running But the other 30, 40, 50 that we've got to get up to speed on is a lot of brain dump for me. And it's, uh, You've heard the saying before, uh, you're drinking through a fire hose, it means you're learning a lot at one time. I've been saying that Vincent's been drinking through two fire hoses at the same time um, because there's 19 years of, of Knowledge of how we run the business in my brain and I've got to get that all out and into his brain and there isn't a fun little wire to connect one ear to the other and it just downloads Damn. at a high speed rate. It, it just has to happen organically through time. So we're doing really well. I'm happy with the transition so far uh, and I'm also excited for him to fully take the reins and then I fully sit in the acquisition seat versus like I got one foot in and one foot out right now. Uh, but even partially in the seat we're still making deals come together
0: yeah it's been it's been fun to kind of like just watch the transition transition but i think uh a while ago i was hey let's catch up you're like hey give me a week i got i got vincent starting in like nine days let's catch up then and so i kind of got plugged in then and and got to know more about the business got to talk with vincent who is an a plus player um that guy's legit We're on the podcast too to talk business because that i think it'll be fun to do um But in terms of just, like, general, like, entrepreneurship scale, we have, like, a lot of fellow real estate entrepreneurs on here. Any, like, tidbits or advice you'd give people as you've scaled or looking back over the last, like, what, 19 years or growing the company? Like, what would you go back and tell uh, a younger Nathan?
1: Yeah, so something I I think uh, I would say, and being humble in this comment, I think early on my ego was in the way a little bit. So it's like, hey, I'm doing this then I'm doing it well and we're growing and we're adding employees and we're adding deals and we're profitable on the deals. And um, really for the first 13 or 14 years in business, I didn't really have a business coach, didn't really have uh, I mean, some mentors here and there, people that had been there before me. Do you have a business coach now? Uh, I, I do, yeah, okay. um, absolutely do. So uh, it was five or six years ago that I I, I thought to myself, you know what? If I'm going to continue to sharpen my skills, and we're going to c- continue to grow, um, I've got to get people that have been there, done that before, and and I've got to get new knowledge and a new skill set, and I've got to figure things out um, at a higher level than I've ever had to figure them out at before. So I joined an organization, and it was only business owners, presidents of companies, CEOs in the room. And i remember i just i remember very vividly my first meeting and somebody in the room said wow there's a lot of mental horsepower in this room and i remember looking around and thinking wow the ceo seat is often very lonely place to be um you don't have a boss you don't have somebody to go to you don't have somebody that's holding you accountable and now all of a sudden i had colleagues and they had similar problems and they had you know, similar places that they wanted to grow and they had similar employee dilemmas and um, it was less lonely and I was learning from other people, some of them far more experienced than me and what's been really fun, so to come full circle, uh, I felt like when I was in that room on day one, oh my gosh, These people are giving their time. I'm learning from them. They're more seasoned than me. And now many times, uh, we do a, it's a, it's a weekly call. Then there's anywhere from like six to 12 people on that call and I find now I'm giving back more now I'm the one who's providing the suggestions and the ideas and oh my god I've done that if that's happened to me like I, I know what to do I can help you out so it's pretty neat for it to have come full circle now that doesn't mean the group doesn't help me anymore and it doesn't mean that I don't still get things from them but I used to be the guy who took in all the information and I was getting a ton of value and then I got to a point where it was 50-50 and now I'm giving back um, more than I'm taking. And that that feels really good to be helping other people out that are in a similar seat that I was in maybe five to
0: 10 years ago. I really appreciate you sharing that. So, so thank you. That helps me a lot as an entrepreneur as I'm growing. Nathan, this has been a, a fantastic podcast. We're gonna have to get you back in the hot seat a lot more often. And we do have some plans to do, uh, get like Paul and Vincent on your team on the podcast. We got some webinars coming up, which are gonna be more like technical and how to on underwriting development deals. Uh, you guys have a very interesting developer incubation, incubator program I all, I think is the phrase. Yeah, uh, we, we've- Give the highlight of that because Paul mentioned, I it, was like, oh, this is uh, this is this sounds amazing. Yeah, it, we, we started, oh gosh. I think we started working with
1: Dublin development probably 10 years ago and those guys are doing every bit as much business as we are right now um but when they came to us they, they had maybe done like a one or two single families ground up they had done a decent number of fix and flips so we referred to it back then as a move up developer because we were already doing multi-family projects at that point we had a good number of deals in the pipeline under construction had already sold some some units and uh, we had made mistakes along the way, learned from those mistakes, and we started really working with what we called move up developers, and now Paul refers to it as like a developer incubator program. Yes, Uh, But we're working with a decent number of people right now um, that have done just fix and flips or small projects, and we're taking them to the next level. So that's really rewarding for me. Back in the day when I was a broker, my favorite part about being the broker was helping people helping them navigate the their first home purchase or helping them navigate a move, a sale and a move up. Uh, and I really missed that. So now being able to help somebody that's a newbie developer, I mean, it's not the same exact thing, but it's still helping people. It's understanding what their goals and objectives are and providing the roadmap to get there. And in some cases we're providing um the property we're finding the property for them we might be doing the architecture doing the construction handling the sales and marketing um a good number of people that are in that incubator program as paul calls it they're utilizing us for every different skill we have in house
0: yeah when he's uh when he told me about it i I thought that was so cool uh and i know so many people want to get into development and sounds like this is a perfect way to kind of like learn, be around the right people, and actually get a a project done. So we have a webinar on the books for that, not in the calendar yet. So either check the show notes or if it's not on there, shoot me an email. We'll get you that uh, webinar comes out sometime, I think, in quarter four. But very exciting stuff. Nathan, thanks a lot, man. Great catching up with you. And we'll talk to you a lot more here on the podcast. I had fun being here today, Chris. Thanks, everyone.